Father in heaven, again, we desire that your spirit be present, that we would understand what we're hearing and be able to faithfully apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I grew up around agriculture. I had fun as a kid because I had no responsibility towards it. We loved, me and my brother, who's a year older than me, loved running in the freshly plowed fields, scaring rabbits out and, and chasing them. And um, We loved riding in the cotton wagon when they were harvesting and running back and forth and being bombarded by cotton balls as they were they weren't exactly cotton balls. They were, had the shells on them a lot of times, and that was a little painful every once in a while. But um, when I was a child, it was fun because I kind of just I liked riding on a tractor with my uncle. Um, I liked being outdoors. I've been an outdoors person my whole life. I would never survive if I had to be in an office all the time. But as I was around agriculture, I began to see what it was like, and I didn't like it. Things were getting worse. Yields were going down. The prices you were getting paid were going down. The weather didn't seem to cooperate half the time. Um, you had to spend more and more money. I, I can remember hearing many gripe sessions of my uncle um, about how he was getting paid less for the cotton. He had to pay more for the sh cotton shirt. And, you know, they were spending more and more chemicals, more and more dangerous chemicals in order to keep, keep things going. And to me, I saw the writing on a wall. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. It was, that was like, it was something that was going down, not up. It was a drag, and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any real interest in that. The home I grew up in was Christian, but we were totally oblivious to the laws of health. Totally. And there's a lot of folks out there like that. They're not consciously violating the laws of their being. They don't even know they exist. <laughs> um, but I happened to, uh, I happened to, uh, I was in a dental office dealing with all those things that come along because you don't know the, the laws of health. Um, I happened to pick up a card uh, advertising the Bible stories and sent that in and because I had questions I was I grew up in the, the uh, a different church and um, there were things that just troubled me about it like eternal torment and it seemed like it was constantly threatening people with with hell more than it was with offering them heaven that uh, people would would stay in the church and I don't mean anything derogatory I have family members who are ministers in that church cousins and I learned a lot of valuable lessons about what true Christianity is. But I began to wonder about why do the Jews worship on Saturday and the Christians worship on Saturday. These, these things were going through in my mind. Anyway, I sent that in. A Cole Porter came and uh, she, I bought some books and uh, she offered me the health books, which I, that wasn't what I sent in for. But she offered me the health books and I bought them. I started reading them. I started reading these things and it's just like my eyes all of a sudden opened. It wasn't like, you know, Truth didn't all of a sudden come into being, except it did come into being in my life. It wasn't, it wasn't there. It was there all the time. It's like, I tell people the blessings of God are flowing all the time. But we've created obstacles to that receiving those blessings. Barriers. But they're there all the time. The truth is there, whether we see it or we don't see it. 
Um, but I was blown away by the health message to such an extent that I wanted to go back to school to be a doctor. So I did. And in the process, I won't share all the details because it'll take too much time. In the process, God said, no, I want you to be a farmer. <laughs> and remember, I grew up around farming and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> I said, no, that can't be. And he said, and God just kept impressing on my mind, what you want to give people, you can give them as a farmer better than you can as a doctor. And again, I'm not being negative towards doctors or any, anything else, but there's a fundamental truth here about what interventions bring healing and cleansing. There's only four kinds of interventions. There's what I call the suppressive interventions. You could call them time-buying interventions. If you were belligerent, you could call them message killers. Um, but what they do is they suppress reality. They cover up the, the effects of causes that were put into, into play. And so that we tend, to, we tend to ignore or deny the causes that are at play by suppressing, suppressing the, the effects. It doesn't change the, the, the reality of what's going on. But then there's cleansing interventions. That's one of the valuable interventions, to, to be able to clean things up, because sanitation, hygiene, and nourishment are where you get health from. Um, and then there's nourishing interventions. And those two interventions are the key interventions that we should be using. Cleansing and nourishing interventions to restore life. Um, but you know, a lot of people don't understand how, you know, what those are and how to use them. And, and the fourth intervention is one that I try to avail myself of as much as I can is divine intervention. You know, the direct intervention of God with his purpose into our lives. And sometimes we need that because nothing else is going to help in time. Um, so, but those are, you know, those, those are the only interventions. And uh, God came, brought me to understand that those cleansing and nourishing interventions were more important than the time-buying interventions. We may need to be bought time. I had a friend who's a doctor tell me, you know, because, you know, Spirit of Prophecy talks about, you know, dr pharmaceutical drugs not eliminating the problem, but just moving it. Well, he gave me, he's an ER doctor, and if I said his name, you'd know him. But he said to me, I had a man come in, he, he was wanting to illustrate that to me. I had a man come in who had a sh bullet wound to the stomach, to the abdomen. He said, I had to choose between saving his head or his legs. In other words, he had to tourniquet his legs to cut the blood flow off there so he could save enough blood to keep it going to his head. So he said, so I had to make a choice between, I bought him time and I had to make a choice. Am I going to save his head or am I going to save his legs? Well, he's a good doctor and he managed to be able to do both uh, in time. But um, that's all those things do for us. And there, to tell you the truth, in the world we live in, there's sometimes we need those, those time, we need some time. And uh, God affords us some time through some of these types of interventions. They're not the ultimate interventions, but they're, they have their place, and uh, we should rightly understand them. So I didn't want to do that, and then I started to see some of the reasoning behind it, and I said, okay, I'll change, I'll go, I'll, I'll leave pursuing medicine, and I'll, I'll, I'll go do agronomy. And God said, no, I don't want you to do that. I'm saying that this is what, you know, God strongly impressed me with. I don't want you to do that. And I said, well, how am I going to know? And he said, I'll teach you. 
And he brought me to, someone shared this quote with me, and I'm going to share it again on Sabbath. It's from Thomas Akempis, and it says this. If you can see things the way they really are, and not merely the way men report them to be, then you're wise, and God is your teacher and not men. What God was saying is he was going to teach me what was truth, and as far as providing for nourishment and cleansing. And so I said about that, people asked me, well, what book should I read, or what should I do this? Well, it kind of happened like it happened, in I, it says in Isaiah. It was line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. There's no one place. I'm hoping maybe I'll eventually change that and be able to put this in writing so that, that we can. But um, there were some here, there were some there. I had to find some biblical basis for how am I going to understand how this is all going to work. And so God, we will we'll skip a lot of that too, but he, God laid, led me to where I am now and the understanding that I have now. And so we'll just, we'll, we'll move right into that. Um, what, if we have that framework, that, that, that biblical framework for what we're looking for, we're looking for something, it, it's got to be a singular model, it's got to apply anywhere you are for any soil that you have, no matter where it is. Because are there are no exceptions to the, to, is there anybody that God can't reach? And so whatever model that we're going to embrace, it has to be universal in its application. Now there's a difference between the model and the condition of the person looking at that model. And so it's important, that there's a principle here that needs to be understood too. I have this, people ask me this all the time. Can I just do what you're doing? I said, if you want to follow the same model, yeah, I think it's a good idea. They said, no, 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 I just want to, can I just, isn't my soil just pretty much the same as yours? So can I just follow what you found out you needed to do and apply those things on my soil? And I said, if you agree that all of my conditions, my spiritual conditions, are exactly the same as yours, then I'll tell you why. And he said, well, I don't think they are. I said, well, I'm not going to tell you. Because it's the model that matters. When we look, we don't look at each other. For our example, we look at Christ. We look at Jesus. And so we're all coming from different places. Um, I, fi- I did some soil stuff for my father-in-law. Only a third of an acre. This is a good illustration. It was only a third of an acre. Um, and he, he said... He wanted to save money. I, don't, I understand. So he said, well, how about if I just do this level part up top here that it tapered, it went down a hill on either side. And he had an orchard on one side and he had berries on the other side and he had his garden up on the level spot. There's only a third of an acre. And I said, yeah, sure, we can do that. I don't know that that's a good idea, but we'll do that. So we did that. He took the soil test um, you know, on that level area and came back and we did everything we were supposed to do. And that part of his garden is great now. It didn't, he wasn't too messed up, so we were able to, I mean, it's not completely there yet, but we, we were able to get it back to the place where it was doing really well. Um, but it's, we had a really rough winter in Tennessee and Kentucky, particularly in Kentucky, three feet of snow. I left Colorado to go to Kentucky, and the snow followed me. Um, but it was a really cold, unusually cold winter near Cleveland, Tennessee, where he lives. And so a bunch of his trees died, and he thought to himself, well, this, this stuff is, this is, Doing so, doing so well, why are my trees dying? 
And I told him, I said, because the condition is not the same there. You're going to have to test right there because there are certain aspects when you're going to pull soil tests you've got to look at to decide you know, whether I need to pull a separate sample here as opposed to there. Well, it went downhill on either side. And back in his berries, he was complaining about the, the violets were taken over. And uh, I, you know, I know one or two things about this stuff. And I said, well, your calcium level is probably low in the back. Calcium level is too low. Well, the soil test showed it was, you know, what, with what we did, it's great. I said, it's not great there. And that was before I had a soil test. And so here, here's what true science is. It's measurable. It's repeatable. And it's demonstrable. You should be able to predict what's going to happen. If you have correct information, it comes back to a knowledge of the holy. If you have correct information and a right understanding of it, you will take the right action and you will have good outcomes. But if you don't start with the right information, you're going to be messed up all the way down. You're going to be messed up all the way down the road. But there are conditions that will cause things to happen, cause plants to grow there. That, uh, there's a reason they're growing there that cause disease pressure, that cause uh, insect pressure. So anyway, we got, we, he decided he'd sample all three of them separately. And sure enough, it came back. He was almost totally devoid in calcium on the orchard. That's why the trees were dying. And he was almost that bad in the back where, the, where the, uh, there was a, quite a couple other things that were, were um, out of whack too. But his garden looked great and stuff was doing really well there. But just in a small area, he, it, it was completely different. It eroded. It was on a hillside. It washed away. There's environmental influences come into, be, come into play, not only in the, on the, in the soil, but in our lives. And they can have effects that, you know, if you're on the level there, it's one thing. If you're on the hillside, it can be a completely different thing, and it, it will, uh, will change that. So, but, if you rightly understand, you have correct information, and you rightly understand it, you can tell what's happening there without even being there. And if you choose not to change it, if you, if you have that knowledge and you choose not to change it, but you expect something to change, that won't happen either. I share this illustration of a, a just to show you again when we, we were talking this morning about the, the environmental influences and, and separating yourself. How, how can you Avoid all this other garbage blowing into your life. It's like everywhere. It's pervasive. Um, there was a, a ranch in uh, Australia. This happened to be in Australia. Huge ranch. It's like 4,000 acres. Terrible thistle problem. Does anybody have thistle problems? Thistle is high potassium, high magnesium, low calcium. Generally, the conditions you're going to have is going to cause thistle to proliferate. It proliferates because it can mine for calcium. It can go deep with its taproot, and it also can put the uh, chemicals out, exudates out of its roots, that can actually mine calcium out of that soil. What, it, what calcium is there that may be locked up because of the conditions. And so it's going to grow there when the crops you want to grow there are not going to grow real well. And uh, there were two ranches side by side. And the one ranch decided to correct the, so correct the soil, to change the conditions of the soil, the character of the soil. And within three years, the thistle disappeared. He didn't spray any chemicals on it to poison it. It just went away. Was the thistle still there? 
it was, but hopefully we'll get to this. Um, when the right conditions come in, like rhizome-based grasses, I better save some of this for the other, the other class. I'll just, since I put it out there, I'll tell you. When the conditions are favorable for life, those rhizomes, they're growing there for a reason. The fungal populations in the soil will proliferate and they'll actually destroy those rhizomes. And that grass won't grow there. It won't proliferate there. Anyway, but the conditions have to, if you don't have a right knowledge, I mean, if you're not following a correct model, you don't understand it correctly, and even if you have those two and you don't apply it, if you don't take the right action in, in accordance with it, um, you're not going to have the outcome. But if you do follow it and you do apply it, you will change things. This is important because uh, there's spiritual lessons in this too, and I, I, I'm not going to go to them now, because we're called to holiness. How can a broken body be called to holiness? Not holy flesh, but holiness. Here are they to keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. You know, how does God impart that? And what, is, what does that look like? Well, this whole model tells you, it, will, it illustrates that. You know, if we would, if we would have just embraced the, the, the natural world, you, you, agriculture, let me just explain this. Agriculture is just an, as an active laboratory in nature. You are actively engaged in the creative process which is what God, that's part of the image of God, is that we, we participate in the creative process. We don't create something out of nothing, but the whole process of life is, is a creative process. You're involved in that process, intimate, that process intimately. And so you get to learn how good things are and how bad they are. And what you choose to do about that and understanding it is, is, uh, is that it will determine what the outcomes are. So we need to get on to this. Um, so if we're using that framework, we ha it has to be a universal model. It'll apply anywhere. I do a lot of work with blueberries. And does anybody grow blueberries? What do they tell you you have to do? They have to have acid soil. You know that's wrong? They tolerate it. I terrified the blueberry nursery in, in Kentucky. I've got multiple blueberry growers that I work with now, but they are terrified when I tell them what they should do because they don't understand correctly. They tolerate it, and there's reasons why it's done that way, but the best blueberries don't grow that way. The highest yields don't come from that type of growing, and the best nutrition doesn't come, come from that either. It comes from complete and balanced fertility. Um, we'll probably get back, we'll probably touch on that again. So the real question is, is there a model that produces these results, that produces health and life and abundance, that eliminates disease and pest and weed pressure? Now, I'm not going to include large animals in this, although there is, a, there, is a, um, there is a way that that's achieved, and it's when you get to fully functional life life is pressed down and overflowing. I have deer, and they love nourishing food. <laughs> but there's a way, there's a way, and I, well, maybe we'll get to that. There's a way that you eventually get to the plant where the plant starts producing a lot of essential oils. It's a surplus. 
It's an overflowing. You can only give from what you have to give. If you don't have it to give, you can't. But anyway, that's a solution. But the, the, again, is there a model, a scientific model, that, that achieves these objectives? Because if it doesn't achieve these objectives or something, it's not the correct model. You may be in love with a certain school of thought, and it's been your whole life, and it's the only thing you've ever known, but that doesn't make it right. It may be right. Parts of it may be right. But if it's not achieving these objectives, something is not right. And I have a lot of people argue with me about, oh, you can't eliminate disease pressure. You can't eliminate weed pressure. Tell the guy with that 7,000 acres in southeast Missouri where it's hot, it's humid, there's a lot of bugs and everything. You tell him that. And he'll just shake your head, his head at you. <laughs> um, so there is that model. So let's, what I'm going to have to do is, because last year there was a, there was a, um, a, a concern expressed at the end of it when people were allowed to give the input that a lot of different models were not brought up. A lot of different approaches weren't brought up. So I'm going to bring them up. And we're going to look at them all. Let's move to this. I want to move to this pie chart again. And I want you to see if you can figure out what's missing when I, when I talk about these. Okay, so we have the conventional school of thought. Pretty pervasive, dominant. Most people are familiar with it. This is how it works. Specific chemistry is used to achieve yield. I didn't say life. I said yield. There's a difference between photosynthetic yield and biosynthetic yield. Photosynthetic yield provides bulk. That's what farmers are paid by, paid for, by the hundredweight, by the case, the volume, you know, whatever it is. So they want to produce as much volume as they can. But that doesn't mean they're producing life. There's a difference between photosynthetic yield and biosynthetic yield. And, and the very specific chemistry is used, and it looks good if you use a lot of other chemistry to make it look good keep it looking good and it'll it'll you'll get yield and I'll have people come up to me and I'm sharing this with you so you'll know if somebody says it to you um, after I when I'm, we're talking about the model I use they'll say oh that doesn't make any difference on yield and they'd be right almost it, you can get yield without complete and balanced chemistry without complete and balanced fertility you can get yield but you're not going to get life. I, in this, well, let's see, down here it's not so much. In Kentucky, I, I, I've been in Colorado for the last 20 plus years. I just moved to Kentucky over water rights issues. I had to move. Um, the grass grows. We, we'd have to mow our grass out in Colorado two or three times a year, a summer. <laughs> in Colorado, I feel, I mean, in Kentucky, I feel like I'm, I'm mowing my grass two or three times a week. You have all of this vegetation, this organic material, just tons of it. But you know they can't breed animals there. What, if we go back to the Genesis when God said, be, what did he say? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill it with what? Fill it with life. Fill it with the image of God, the glory of God. They cannot breed animals in that environment. There's not enough life in that food. There's a lot of it. Go out to the 
if you've read anything about the history of the United States, you go out to the mid-continent, the short grass prairies, and what did they sustain? These short grasses, they sustained millions and millions of large animals. Now, in Kentucky, there happens to be an area called the bluegrass, and it's very famous for its horses. It's, there's a reason it's famous for its horses, because that bluegrass area had a naturally high level of balanced fertility. It wasn't complete, but it was, it was pretty good. And so you had really good horses that could perform. There, I don't know if any, if any of you know about draft horses, but there was a, there's a draft breed called the Percheron. It was from France, specific area of France. So all the wealthy people, they, they were beautiful animal, powerful. And so all the well, wealthy wanted to have them. And so they bought them and they shipped them all over the world. And what happened to them? They fell apart. Because the area of Percheron in France was in one of those places where the natural fertility was a lot more imbalanced and a lot more complete than a lot of other places. And there are places like that in the world. Um, you can take, this has been demonstrated, you can take a healthy person and make them sick just within a few months. And they couldn't reproduce for the life of them. And you can turn around and change the way you're nourishing them. And within a few months, they'll be back to being able to be fr fruitful. This has been demonstrated. Uh, what I'm telling you here is not way out there in left field somewhere, made up. This is scientifically documented that by the changing of the conditions, you can change the outcomes. And so here, here we have all kinds of vegetation you know, in the east here, but they can't breed animals. They do all the breeding out in the Midwest. Or they have to use a lot of supplements and a lot of pharmaceuticals to, to get that to be accomplished. So having a lot of organic matter doesn't give you life. And that, that we're going we're gonna to move into that one in just a second. We're still on the, chem, on, the, on the conventional agricultural paradigm. It's incomplete and imbalanced fertility to achieve yield. But then the requirement is that you use a lot of toxic rescue chemistry to suppress the effects of malnourishment. And that's what we do. I remember I shared those four interventions. We have suppressive, we're, we're, we're good at killing messengers. Let's put it that way. Um, but we're not the greatest always at, at cleansing and, and, and healing and nourishing. What's, what's missing in that school of thought? They use, let me just add this to it. They use tillage. They use tillage. We're going to talk about this in the next section. Um, how do you... How do you get that breath of life? If that, air, if that soil cannot breathe, you cannot have life. You have to have the minerals, and it has to be able to breathe. And that, in turn, changes the conditions in the soil. The hormonal and enzyme systems in that soil are completely changed, and they encourage different things. Um, so conventional agriculture uses tillage. To, to get that to get that air into the soil, um, because you have to have it in there. There are consequences to that if the 
If the chemistry is not right, though, and you continue to put air into that soil through tillage, it's like, it's like God plowing Pharaoh's heart. What did it do to Pharaoh's heart? It hardened it. We're going to look at the chemistry of why that happens. Because we need to understand this, because somebody's going to bring up to me, well, the spirit of prophecy says plow often and plow deep. And so we've got to reconcile that statement. I can show you pictures where subsoiling was just done on a pasture, just subsoiling, no chemistry change whatsoever as far as additions, any applications of, of amendments, just t subsoiling that soil and opening it up, breaking out fallow ground, opening it up. And if you saw the, saw the photograph of the side of the field that wasn't subsoiled and the side that was, the side that was was green and lush, and the other side was just pale and not doing so well. And all it was done was air was added to the soil. The breath of life was added to that soil because it wasn't getting it. It was suffocating, and the wrong conditions were there. But this is, so they used tillage to get the air into the soil. And of course, they'll use irrigation. It'll depend on it. You're going to discover there's a, a problem with that. It's one of the, it's in the parable of the sower. It's one of the conditions that are created. Um, but what, it, what is missing? What didn't I say? Remember I said they use um, very specific chemistry? They'll use very specific nutrients to achieve yield. They don't use all of the nutrients to achieve yield. NPK, you'll hear that. The NPK. Potassium drives photosynthetic yield. And they'll use those three to drive, to drive yield. But do they have complete mineralization? Do they have balanced mineralization? No. That's the part that's missing there. Now, they're starting to realize they, they, didn't, they didn't really care about organic matter, um, which, you know, you may get the idea that I'm, I'm very harsh towards organic matter and the organic movement. I'm not. They're vital, but they're not what they're made out to be. The claims that are made towards them are not what they are, what, but are not true, but they are vital. So you'll see that there's a, there's a missing, there's an incomplete and imbalanced application of minerals. It's the wrong character. It's only part of it. Now I could take the time, but we don't have it here, to take in here and how we can use that as a church to drive yield without driving life. And you know what happens when you do that? You destroy the ability to be fruitful in the future. You use, you use that ground you drive it, but in the process you destroy its capacity to bear fruit in the future. And we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully get to that in a minute, the, the, what, the, chemistry, what, what the, the science looks like on that. So it's missing that. So let's, let's move on to, let's just go to the organic, the organic school of thought. What is the primary thrust? Now the, the contention is that organic food, organic growing, will produce clean, nutritious food. And I had another grower who dropped their certification because they couldn't do all the things they needed to restore the balance of their soil. They chose to drop it. Now, they had been, in, they'd been growing, and they had their customer base for a long time, and they explained to their customers why they were dropping it and everything. But she shared with me, she said, people want clean, nutritious food. They associate that with organic. The question is, is the association accurate? Is it correct? It might be. But I'm telling you, most of the time it's not. 
But what is, what is their premise? What is the fundamental premise of organic agriculture? That, that organic matter, compost and manure, will, will provide the fertility, that the natural systems will work with that and will provide clean, nourishing food. The question is, is that correct? Well, I already told you there's no clean soil. There's no such thing as clean soil. I think, you, Larry, you might be going <laughs> to... Um, there's no such thing, folks, as clean soil. And so the other question is, I, and I just shared with you, out east here we have this massive vegetation, all of this organic material, but it can't sustain life. If they weren't able to, if they didn't supplement animals, they would not be able to reproduce. I'm not making this up. This is science, documented. They would not be able to reproduce. They would, their bellies would be full, but they would not be able to, to, to bear fruit. Whereas you could go out with a limited amount of organic matter, and you could sustain massive herds of, of animals. And they're reproducing so fast, there's millions of them. And so it, it is... What this correlates to is, is, our, um, is our testimony. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you again, I'm not, you don't need to tell me whether you think it's true or not. Is your experience complete and balanced? Organic matter is a combination of law and spirit and will. It's the testimony. If it's not the right combination of those things, what happens to organic matter? Organic matter, it's, I call these the earth elements and I call those the air elements because that's what they are if you look at their, their nature and everything. What happens to organic matter? It's not, that's why I said down here this is represented. I, I copied and pasted this because I like the, the, the diagram the way they had it. Um, it really should say humus there. But what happens to organic matter when it breaks down? There are reasons that organic, the use of compost and manures Organic materials can drive yield. And again, I'm going to put this out there, and you may not like it, but by and large, the same methodology is being used in organic agriculture as being used in conventional agriculture, just by a different method. There's some advantages to it because, yes, you're going to get some more nutritional elements with organic materials than you are um, from just applying very limited nutrients. Um, but by and large, it's a yield-driving process. And what, what, what happens when it breaks down is when it goes to its most stable form, and I'm going to tell you, tell you now, when it goes to its most stable form that's called humus, it is identical to the model that we're going to look at. It tests out and measures out identical to the model that I'm going to tell you is correct because it achieves the things that it, it should achieve. So what happens when it breaks down the air elements Volatilize. They go back to the air. What are you left with? You're going to have whatever humus is formed because you had the balanced amount of materials there to, sta to stabilize it. But what else are you going to have? You're going to have whatever other law, I'm going to put it that way, or knowledge came with that, the minerals, the minerals that came with it. Was it complete and was it balanced? It might have been. It might have been. Not very likely. 
but it, but it might have been. Someone might have been. People ask me, do I have to do soil tests? Do I have to, isn't there a different way? Isn't there an easier way? You know what? You don't have to do soil tests. <coughs> there are old timers out there that could tell you all kinds of things they've observed and they've learned from experience from nature. You can read the weeds that are growing there. You can tell by the bugs that are eating on that plant. You can tell by the diseases. Um, we're going to talk about some of that. You can tell by what some of those conditions are. And as you learn those things, I had a, an old uh, naturopathic doctor. We were out walking one time through this old orchard. And he said, They're these little tree frogs, peepers, they, he called them. He said, when the peepers stop peeping, it's not going to freeze anymore. I tested them for the next several years. And when they stopped peeping, it didn't freeze. And so can you learn from the natural world? Of course you can. If you've got about an attentive mind, are you going to give the time to it and the attention to it? You can learn from nature, and you can learn to understand the, 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 what it's telling you and to make adjustments according to that. The question is, do you have the time, and are you willing to commit the time? Because it might take you 20, 30 years to learn that. So there is another way. But if we have a way that quickly allows us to um, determine what the conditions are, I'm saying, you know, that's a no-brainer to me. If I can figure it out now and I know what to do, then that's what I'm going to do. But what, what is missing here on the organic school of thought? Did you hear any mention of mineralization? Do you want me to tell you the history of the organic movement? I'll do it short version. Of course, Sir Albert Howard started, you know, doing the research and understanding of how manures and stuff, when they were applied, would help crops grow better. And um, Robert Rodale got onto that and was, was you know, excited about it and it appealed to him and it appeals to us. Look, it's natural. Wouldn't you inherently think, well, if it's from God, it's not, it would be natural, right? So, you know, he was all excited about that, that somehow or another nature could solve all the problems. And so he actually worked with the person who developed the model that I follow. He worked with him with a group called the Friends of the Land through uh, Lewis Bromfield up in Ohio. And he disagreed with uh, the premise that I'm going to share. He said, that, no, natural, organic materials, they can provide everything you need. I've had people tell, you too, tell me, too, that you can get everything you need out of a can. Um, and so that he believed that. Now, he changed it, and, and so that, that's what started the organic movement. And he later changed his mind. He later recognized that mineral, proper mineralization, and if you look at some of the more prominent organic growers today who, who have, gotten, have a lot of years of experience and understanding, they will acknowledge this. He came to realize that proper mineralization was necessary. But the movement had its own legs at that point, and they didn't listen to him anymore. But you'll see some of that through Julius Hensel's work and the bread from stones and the natural rock powders and stuff like that supplying the, the minerals. Um, that part came in, and you'll see that in the books. But look, read the organic books, organic gardening books. Just tell me how much, find, how much information you find on mineralization in them. And please, I'm not, I'm not being critical of anybody I'm here to just try to, you know, we need to think these things through. We need to just not automatically accept something because it sounds good or, or, or it's appealing to us. Um, the thing that is missing again here is complete and balanced mineralization. 
The assumption is that the organic material, uh, like one of the arguments was that if you use leaves from trees, because trees go down deep and they'll get minerals from deep in the soil. Well, science has shown that to be totally false. It's either there or it's not. If it's not there, there's no alchemy going on. The tree roots going deeper, it's, they're not getting it. And so, but that was one of the arguments. And so, you know, all the minerals would be coming into the, coming into the system, but that's been shown to be not true. Um, so mineralization is missing here again. So we've got two schools of thought, and complete and balanced mineralization is missing from it. You're going to see why when we get done this. Let's go to, um, yeah, and what we'll actually be talking about this afternoon, we'll be addressing, we'll be addressing that in, yeah, you can't cut all the boards the same size and build the house and it's going to come out. We're going to actually talk about that this afternoon. We're going to talk about some of the consequences of a wrong understanding of the use of organic materials. Um, and how a lot of growers get themselves into deep water with, and it's difficult to get out of sometimes. So let's look at um, another school of thought, biodynamics. You've, all, you've, ever, you've, most, uh, you've heard of biodynamics. Well, their, their um, contention is, by and large, and uh, you know, I'll, I hopefully I'm not, nobody feels like I'd be misrepresenting it, but they're focused on energy. That energy coming into the system is what's going to drive everything. And so, um, if you get the right energy flow, you get the right energy flow into the growing system, it'll, it'll sort all these things out. And I'm not going to elaborate. Well, they, they do use that, but, and that's a legitimate testing method to indicator. It is a legitimate indicator. There's more to it than what most people, um, they only measure the level. There's, there's other aspects to it that actually have, they've shown that are more important metrics as to whether there's good nutrition in the, um, but it's using that, that methodology. So really quickly, I don't want, I'm not going to go into a lot of that, but there's, there's a lot of kind of unusual stuff with the whole energy thing and the biodynamic situation. But the assumption is that if you get the right flow of energy into the system, um, you will you will provide the, all that's needed for the, the crop to grow. And all these things are going to show up. I've had people tell me, you know, if you just do this, this will just show up. And I say, really? <laughs> there was a lot of things I think I'd try to do and see if the other things would just show up. Um, nothing from nothing still equals nothing. And if it doesn't, if it's not there, it's not going to just show up. It may be tied up in the soil, and it'll show up because it was tied up in the soil because certain conditions were met to, to make it available, to release it. Now, that's true, if it was there. But if it's not there, it's not going to just show up because you've done all this other stuff. It's not necessarily going to show up. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Do you, you, know what it, you know what its spiritual equivalent is? Formation. Formation. Have you ever heard that term before? It's a parallel movement to, to these others. The organic movement, I'm sorry, folks, the organic movement is a parallel physical movement in relation to the spiritual formation movement well, and it's exact that's exact but that what that is is what you just said is that nature or man is inherently god and he will eventually get himself there so 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 what we we just have to be honest with honest with these things because look there's a lot of if i can do things naturally that's what i do but it doesn't have to do with whether if man, you know, remember when Jesus um, 
his disciples said to him, and he said, these people are over here casting out demons, but they're not with us. Tell them to stop. What did Jesus say to them? They're either with us or they're against us. If they're doing the right thing, then pat them on the back and say, go for it. So look, there are things that man understands correctly. And if they, are, they can be embraced and applied to restore this, it doesn't, because brother, brothers and sisters, nature is broken too. I hate to tell you that, but nature is broken too. It's groaning under the curse. It's not going to get you there anywhere, any more than we're going to get ourselves there separated from Christ. I'll just put it that way. So again, I'll just point it out because we're kind of, I'm going to have to kind of move through these a lot faster. Um, what is missing again? Mineralization. Now, you can go to this, the biological school of thought. Where the, and what that means by that, it's not on here, but we're going to talk about it. When you get the chemistry right, which is when you have the character of God correctly, under, you know it correctly, then the physics, the physical structure of that soil is correct. The understanding is right. And as a result of those things, life comes in abundance. So, this is the law of God. This is the will and the understanding of it and the application of it comes to that. But let's, let's you, the biological school of thought, I call it the unseen, we're going to talk about it this, uh, tomorrow or maybe it's the next day, Friday. Um, I call them the unseen agencies. Quote, unseen agencies. Because they do their thing and we don't even know they're doing it. And if you want a healthy growing system, uh, I started it out, you get the chemistry right, and the physics gets right. And when those two get right, the biology now, and your, your ultimate goal is for that biology to do everything that God designed it to do. And the interesting thing, when it starts working, the plant moves to a higher level of function, and it starts over, pressing down and overflowing. And that's when you get, we're gonna talk about this in carbon fertility, that's when you get carbon induction. That's when you get humus formation. That's when you get abundant fruit and, and life-giving nourishment out of the system. We're gonna, we'll, we'll be talking about that more. Um, so anyway, the, school, the biological school of thought assumes that biology is going is to be the answer. That biology somehow or another is going to take these conditions and, and provide complete and balanced life. But again, that's just not reality. When you, when you look at it, nothing from nothing still leads to nothing. And if, if you're imbalanced, you're incomplete. Now, biology can make more available what is there if it can function. If it can function. If you don't have these two conditions right, it can barely function. And so you have all of these, the conventional agriculture is, is rife with it, you have all of these interventions to compensate for the fact that the biology is not doing what God intended it to do. It's an interdependent system. It's a give, freely you receive, freely give system. And they can't do what they can't do. They don't have any inherent ability to create something out of nothing. 
they can make it more available. But if, it would be like me and you. If, we, if, we're not, if we don't have the resources, I call this side the hammers and the nails, the circular saw, the screws, the latches, all of that kind of stuff, the minerals. And this is the air side. What is, that? What is lumber? What is wood? It's mostly air. And it's built using these hammers and nails and screws and, and everything like that to build the right house. When that house is right, it's habitable. It's, it's livable, and then the biology will begin doing things. But like I said, the, the conventional crowd, they'll have all kinds of interventions. Like the soil is washing away because there's no glue. The glues that the, the, that the, the fungi and the bacteria produce to hold the soil together is no longer now, so they'll put polyacrylamides in there to glue it together. They'll put um, polymers in there because there's no water holding ability because the structure's not right. The humus levels are almost non-existent. We burn them out they'll put polymers in to hold water. <laughs> it's insane. You have to be man controlling more and more and more, and it just continues to go downhill and downhill and downhill. Whereas all of those things, we'll talk about it with carbon fertility. We'll talk about the incredible buffering ability that experience has. And it also relates to those virgins and those lamps. Um, so let's see, they're, they're, you've got the permaculture crowd. Uh, anyway, on, on the soil biology, there's no mention of mineralization. The biology is, gonna, the biology is just going to create these conditions. Not going to happen. But mineralization is missing again. I'm getting at something, and hopefully I can finish it up here. Permaculture. What is permaculture? Permaculture say, the permaculture is really just trying to hold on to what they have. Isn't that the case? It's about preventing any more loss. But they're not really addressing restoration because the conditions in the soil are, are what are going to determine whether things can be restored or they, they can't be. Again, so they're not talking about this. So we need to get to, um, we got to do the hydroponics. I'm trying to think if there's another one I need to do and I'm not doing it. That would kind of fall into the same category. Well, that's a, that's a management technique for avoiding um, erosion and everything. Yeah, we'll get to those when I'll, I'll probably do it in the next session because I'm not going to have time, but we'll, yeah, I'm going to talk to some of the flavors of that because it's important. We'll have to get to that. Um, let's, let's just talk about the hydroponic and the aquaponic stuff because they do address minerals, but how do they address them? Who determines who determines what that plant's going to get? You do. Do you know, but on any given day, look, one of the arguments against soil testing is, well, look, there's dynamics going on in the soil all the time. Things are changing all the time. Plants are changing the chemistry they're dumping in. We'll get to that in the carbon fertility part of it, or the biology part of it, both of them. But they're, they're dumping exudates into the soil to attract the certain right biology to extract or, or get made available to them certain mineral elements and everything. Because at any given time, they're needing more of this and less of that and everything. So it's a dynamic fluctuation where the plant itself, which came from the seed that has the genetics that should know how to interact with that soil to provide what it needs. In a hydroponic system, you're determining what the character is. You're in control. You're in control of the entire thing. It's the ultimate. <laughs> it's the ultimate man-made system. 
We control everything as if we understand everything. I can tell you I was offered a job at a big greenhouse as managing and growing, doing hydroponics, and I turned it down. What can you never do with a hydroponic system? Can you ever build oil in a lamp? Can you ever actually comp uh, come to a place of complete and balanced growing? It's a constant input system, a constantly controlled system. And this is another lesson that we have to, we have to um, take into consideration. We need to build oil in the lamp. And you're never going to do it. You, you're never going to. It's a, it's a totally unstable system. There is no durability in it. There is no endurance in it. It's a totally unstable, completely controlled, man-controlled system. And so while they do that, they define what the character is. Not the natural world. Not God. We define what the character is. And there are some people that do a really good job at hydroponics. I won't, I'm not going to say that, but I'll tell you, I've never, had a, I've never had a hydroponic tomato that tasted like mine. Never. And that's even when it wasn't even all right. <laughs> There's just severe, it just has a watery, I mean, it's, they, they pull stuff in, they put it in soluble form, which is not the best way for the plant to take it up. It's not. That's what you're told, but it's not the best way, the most efficient way for the plant to take it up. It's actually in an organic compound is the best way. That's one of the reasons the organic material works so well is because the plant gets to use whatever minerals are there. They're already in an organic form. It's, it's much more energy efficient and everything for it to take it up that way. Um, so the common denominator here is the mineralization thing. It's either it's, it's, uh, it's not fully addressed, it's not addressed at all, it's not even considered as relevant, that it'll be taken care of some other way, or it's inherently there, um, or it's completely controlled. Um, you, can, you can balance the soil, you're going to put it in a pot. But I go, back to, I go back to what is our purpose. We're going to talk about that in the last session. What are you going to do when all of a sudden you can't do that anymore? When you can't create those conditions anymore? And you're in a position where you have to carry on with no support. This is another biblical principle that we have to bring to bear with what we're trying to do here. Can it be done in the short term? Yeah, it can. Um, and, and some people, the only thing they have, and I tell people, if that's all you can do, do it. They might be growing in a half a barrel tub on their back porch because they live in an apartment. And I say, you're better off having one or two good things to nourish you than nothing at all. God, God accepts us where we are, not where we need to be. And then he leads us. He doesn't prod us. He doesn't push us. And it's important for us to understand that. So, yeah, that's, you know, if, if, those, if the conditions are such that that's all you're able to do, then do it to the best that you can do it. And as opportunity presents itself to, to move beyond that, then you move beyond it. But we need to stop here for another break. Um, I didn't actually get to the, the model we are going to look at, because the model we are going to look at addresses the chemistry. And when the chemistry is right, the physics are right. And when the physics are right, the biology is right. And when that's all right, 
you have life and you have abundant life and a lot of the problems fall away and we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll just do it in the beginning of the next session. We'll, we're going to go over that um, and then we're going to start looking at the details, details on that. But I hope I didn't offend anybody. I just, I, I just want us to be able to think, you know, it's easy for us to, to go along with something that sounds really good or to justify something because we have to. And so the real question is, um, like I asked before, would you go to the er world to get complete and balanced nourishment? Do you think that the devil has led any model out there to any extent of exposure that will provide you with complete and balanced nourishment? He hasn't. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the model that we're going to talk about is only a small fraction of a percent of growers in the world. But those growers are making huge differences in people's lives. Huge differences. Because you can taste and see that the Lord is good. So let's, let's just have a quick prayer. We'll stop and take our break here. Father in heaven, once again, we just are thankful for your presence. We just desire your understanding and a right knowledge so that we can we can take the right action in life. And I just pray that we continue to be present with us and refresh us in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.